Hello and welcome to the Stack Magazine's podcast. My name is Stephen Watson, I'm the founder of Stack, and this week I'm speaking to Rod Stanley, the editor of Good Trouble, the big, loud newsprint magazine that covers the intersection of art and protest. Good Trouble is published in New York, which is where Rod lives these days, and he says he was spurred into action by the election of Donald Trump in 2016. Good Trouble began literally the day after the election results were announced, and at first it was just a series of posts on Medium, but that then grew into a website, and it was only when the designer Richard Turley got involved that Good Trouble made the move into print. We came across Good Trouble via last year's Stack Awards, and I was really pleased that we were able to deliver their second print issue to Stack subscribers this month, so that's August 2018. As you'll hear, the project has grown quickly, but without any real hard plans, and I think you can tell that Rod is just loving the proper independent publishing experience, drafting his kids in to help with stuffing envelopes and then carting everything off to the post office himself. If you're a Stack subscriber, you'll already have held this magazine in your hands, but even if you've never come across it before, I hope you'll enjoy this behind-the-scenes look at the making of Good Trouble magazine. All right, Rob, thank you very much for dropping in at Somerset House. Thank you for having me. Uh, and thank you for bringing these massive magazines with you as well. So start by telling us a little bit, for, for anyone who's not seen Good Trouble, tell us what this thing is. Um, well, funnily enough, like actually laying out these four covers on this table here is the first time I've ever I've actually done this. Because these, these just came back from the printer last week and I just got a delivery from the warehouse yesterday. Um, they are four, for, for the benefits of people on, on radio, this is Good Trouble magazine. It's the second issue uh, of a broadsheet newspaper, uh, an annual newspaper, uh, which publishes stories from the intersection of arts and culture with protest and activism. The first issue came out last summer, was limited to a thousand copies. Uh, This is the follow-up. It's three times as big, uh, more stories, more original photography, more artwork. And more distribution, courtesy of you in Stack Magazine. <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot more of them being printed as well. So um, everyone should be able to get their hands on on one, hopefully. Excellent. That is what I like to hear. So it's striking, I think, that in reading this magazine slash newspaper full of different examples of protest and, and people taking a stand and doing something, a lot of the people talk about the thing that pushed them over the edge and made them say... I've got to do something about this. Do you have a moment like that? Yes. Um, <clears throat> and I talked about this a little bit last year, and I think the, the beginning of Good Trouble, and it's not highly original, and it's, a, you know, I think it was a bit of a turning point for a lot of people, but it was the election of Donald Trump in the United States in November 2016. Um, I'd had the idea, I mean, I used to be in publishing, I used to work at Dazed and Confused and uh, various other magazines. I still write for newspapers and magazines a little bit today, um, although my focus is elsewhere generally. Um, But Brexit had happened earlier that year, if I'm getting my timeline correct. Uh, And then the Trump election was like, uh, you know, it was like a, uh, a bomb going off. Um, I, rem- I live in New York now. I've been living in New York for five and a half years. Uh, and I remember, you know, I went into my job the next morning and people were like openly weeping 
in the office. It was it was incredible. Like people on the subway, on the trains that morning. I mean, New York is New York, um, and you know it tends to be more liberal and more progressive than some other areas of America. But you know, people looked like they hadn't slept. People were crying on the trains. It was really intense. Um, and I'd been thinking that year of dipping my feet back into publishing. I was kind of, you know, it's something I've always loved and uh, I'd missed working on magazines. I hadn't worked on magazines for five or six years by that point, apart from a few bits and pieces of freelance journalism. And it suddenly felt like, you know, a few things came together. I, I wanted to do something that focused on the intersection of arts and activism. That's something I've always been interested in. in. And you know, when I was editing Dazed and Confused, it was a strand of coverage that I was very passionate about including, tried to get something uh, related to social issues, youth culture, uh, arts and culture into almost every issue while I was there, which was seven or eight years. Uh, may or may not have succeeded, I can't remember. <laughs> um, so anyway, arts and activism, and I was like, I want to do something in this space. Trump was elected, and I was like, well, look, this has got to be the time. And I quit my job a couple of months later, um, which I'd been thinking about doing anyway, uh, but that accelerated it and you know it made clear that I was like no this is what I want to do I don't want to do a nine-to-five Monday to Friday working for um, you know for a big brand there was nothing wrong with the brand but you know it was it was not what I wanted to spend the next few years doing I felt there was something more interesting and I, I wanted to be able to free up some more time to be able to do this so good trouble began literally 24 hours after the election I think I had a a medium page like a basic blog page and I emailed a few friends and I was like look we're doing this and it wasn't called good trouble at the time it was called something else uh, but it was basically just a space we could start sharing some ideas and publishing stories finding other people who were you know uh, feeling inspired horrified um, you know wanting to say something and, and, and it kind of grew from there and I think a month later I figured out how to use Squarespace which is easier than it looks. Uh, so like, <laughs> is, is this podcast sponsored by Squarespace? Oh, yeah. so, I found a major user uh, accessible web uh, design company. Um, I don't know. Are there other companies? <laughs> um, anyway, I kind of figured out how to build a website, and it was easier than I thought. I'm sure it's. Uh, I'm sure it was a lot harder ten years ago. Last time I looked, and now, it, now any idiot can do one like me. Um, so yeah, the website was up and running, and then uh, ultimately about. You know, six months later, Richard Turley, uh, genius uh, art director, a good friend of mine in New York. You know, we'd been talking. I told him about this digital. It was digital only uh, project I was doing, and I said that I'd foolishly promised. Uh, I was I was involved in an event helping kind of put a panel together, and I'd promised the organisers to create a zine uh, for the fifty people that were going to turn up. And I hadn't really figured out how to do that. I was literally going to just take some of the stories from the website put them on paper, staple them up, photocopy them, like, you know, really sort of 70s, 80s, old school style. I was, you know, I hadn't really kind of started yet. And, and Richard, bless him, was like, no, 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 don't do that. Let's make a newspaper. Um, I was like, oh, okay. And from there, we put together the original um, Good Trouble One, which was 12 pages, broadsheet newspaper, a thousand copies. Uh, and it, uh, it went from there. And yeah, a year later, here we are with issue two. And so very low expectations, I guess. This is something you kind of stumbled into. How, how did the reception of your first issue compare to what you thought might come out of it? Yeah, it went down really well, uh, which is nice, uh, obviously. Uh, you know, the website had been ticking along. It was starting to kind of, you know, pick up followers on Instagram. And uh, we'd had some, 
sympathetic press. People liked the idea of a publishing platform that was focused on this intersection of creativity and protest. It's it's one of those things a lot of magazines and papers sometimes cover uh, as part of a wider remit, uh, which is great. But there isn't, as far as I'm aware, anything that's specifically dedicated to this area of arts and creativity with you know protest and activism. Um, but the newspaper came out, and there's something very interesting. I guess this is something that's very interesting about print. It's the, it's the tangible nature of it. People really liked it. and it was, I, I gave them away to friends, to colleagues, to... Um, you know, with some events that we were involved in, and uh, people were really impressed. Richard obviously did an amazing um, design job on it, which I think was super eye-catching. Uh, the artist, uh, Matt Lambert, who took the cover photograph for us, um, of his friend MJ Harper, who's a dancer and model. He's completely naked uh, with a football scarf that just says, wake up for freedom. And it's a really beautiful and provocative image. I think it was perfect for the cover of the first issue. It really kind of set out everything Good Trouble was about. It's kind of in your face and aesthetically pleasing at the same time. Um, so a lot of things came together and, uh, you know, we started, you found out about us, you got in touch, um, you asked us to enter the Stack Magazine Awards, which we were commended and runner-up, Magazine of the Year and Cover of the Year, which is amazing, um, for this little sort of self-published zine. Um, stockists got in touch. Um, Jeremy at Mag Culture has been very supportive. Printed Matter in New York. You know, lots and lots of other places. And then also Dazed ID 032C. Is that how you pronounce them? I don't know. Is it 032C or 032C? I, I, I go as... I go anyway, they're a fantastic magazine. Um, and uh, they were very supportive. You know, everyone ran stories. It's nice that um, lots of graphic design blogs obviously wrote, wrote about it from, you know, particularly uh, regarding Richard uh, and his work. Um, so it got, you know, a lot of really great coverage online. And, you know, it started to... We were just selling them DIY through the, through the website. I was literally folding up hand you know i got my kids to help and like put the stickers onto the envelopes and you know i had piles of the newspapers and piles of envelopes in the house and you know my wife was convinced i'd lost my mind which maybe we had <laughs> but it was really fun and I, obviously i worked in publishing for 10 12 years and dazed is an independent magazine i guess but it's a pretty established independent magazine you know it's got lots of employees it has sister publications you know it has a distribution network um, I'd never got as kind of uh, as down in the dirt as folding up copies of newspapers, putting them into envelopes, stacking up the envelopes, taking them to the post office, getting them stamped, putting them in the chute. And I really, really enjoyed it. Um, you know, and, you know, right. This one's going to Sweden. This one's going to Australia. This one's going to the UK. This one's going to you know Brazil. And each one felt like a little physical connection as I kind of put. Does that? Makes sense. Oh, totally. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, each one felt like I was like, okay, this is going off to you know so and so in Russia, and I'm putting this newspaper in an envelope, and I'm putting it in, and it was a, a much more direct feeling to any kind of publishing experience I'd had to that day. Um, so yeah, we were hugely uh, encouraged by the reaction uh, in press, uh, you know, by yourself, and you know, you said you'd be interested if we were to do a follow up that you would love to, you know, have it as part of the stack subscription service, which obviously. Um, you know, we're, we're thrilled about. Um, and we hadn't really planned to do a follow-up at that point. So a lot of people, you know, their questions were like, when is issue two coming? 
So we were like, oh, I suppose we better do one then. That is the problem. Once you start something like this, even though you started at like issue 21, right? The, uh, issue 23. 23. Oh, and you're going backwards now. Yeah, we're counting down. Okay. There, there's no reason. <laughs> I don't know. I called it issue 23 partly because I just thought it was kind of, I just thought it was a bit predictable to call it issue one uh, or a bit presumptuous maybe to call it issue one. I thought if we call it issue 23, it doesn't really make any sense and it will remove any pressure to do a follow-up because it'll look like we've already done 23 issues and therefore maybe people will leave us alone. Um, but then when we decided we to do a follow-up, I was like, well, we can't call it issue 24, can't call it issue two. Issue 22 seems to make sense. If we get down to issue one, I'll be, uh, I'll, I'll be very happy. All right, right. But, okay. we'll, but we'll see. No pressure. I don't now. know what happens then. Right, you know. yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got to go start going yeah. back up again. The, I, I really like the way that you've made use of this format. So you, you've got newsprint, obviously, that's good because it's cheap. So you can make it's these things good. without spending a lot of money. But also, you've just got all the newsprinty stuff about it. Like the, you've got like the way that on, when you fold the magazine, you get a bit of a crease in there. And it feels like a thing of the street. It feels like a thing that is going to be thrust into your hand. Uh, yes, I like that. It's funny because I was like, I was just saying before we came on about like, I haven't quite solved the folding conundrum. Maybe I'm a bit perfectionist. Like, oh no, the ink's rubbing off on me. <laughs> but it is nice, and I like, you know, it's it's not a glossy, uh, you know, high end art publication because we can't afford to produce one. No, it's like newspaper is great. Newspaper is a fantastic medium, and you know, Richard's talked about this a little bit. There's something very appealing about using a medium which is you know, effectively dying, you know, like, you know, most news has gone digital, obviously there's still, you know, printed newspapers around and, you know, hopefully there will be for a long time. Um, but it's obviously a medium that's associated with disposability uh, and up-to-date news. It's like, the, you know, tomorrow's fish wrapping or yesterday's fish wrapping, um, whichever way around it is. But essentially it's disposable and it's up-to-date news and the idea of kind of using that as a medium for something which is more permanent and magazine styled and the stories and projects and art that we're including in the newspaper are hopefully as relevant in a year or two years or three years, ten years, uh, you know, as a kind of time capsule of a, a time and attitude and ideas um, as they are today. I mean that's kind of really the idea that this isn't it's not a newspaper because it's not really telling you news and obviously it's up to date and as current as we can make it. Um, but these are stories, these are individuals, these are projects and these are ideas and we want to kind of try and capture that uh, and you know, put it into uh, something as effectively as we, as we can. So yeah, partly newspapers is a, it's quite appealing to sort of subvert that uh, medium in some ways. And as you mentioned, from a purely practical level, it's cheap as chips to produce. And um, it looks cool. You know, how, how often do you pick up a broadsheet newspaper that's well, full exactly, of like... Exactly yeah. that. And, and so I was just going to say, it also gives you these massive pages. So mm -hmm. you've got proper broadsheet. I mean, like, this is big for a broadsheet. Yeah, I think it's about, tele like, does the Telegraph still produce in, in broadsheet? I'm not even sure because I've been in New York for a few years. But obviously, like, the old Guardian and, you know, the old times. It's, it, it, this is old school broadsheet before everyone kind of reduced their sizes. I know Guardian's tabloid size, isn't it? Um, I'm not sure if Telegraph is still like full broadsheet or if it's gone down. I haven't seen one for a long time. Um, 
because uh, only my dad reads it, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen him with but, one But if the Telegraph but, is still printing yeah. at this size... I like I, the idea it's just us and the Telegraph. It's, it's only, yeah, Good it's trouble in the Telegraph, broadsheet. But if, if they are, mm-hmm. I bet they're not layering text boxes on text boxes and text on text and create... The, the, the design of this thing has just created this onslaught, this mm-hmm. editorial onslaught of stuff in your face. Yeah, it has. And, you know, that's all Richard and he should, you know, take every credit for that because I think, you know, I, I love his work as a designer and it kind of treads this line between technical detail and, you know, chaos. And I think that kind of really comes through and, you know, on, on, on these pages. And like you say, there's a lot of layering, uh, there's text everywhere. He loves text. I think he's, uh, you know, he's tired of imagery at the moment, which he's also sort of talked about. You know, there's, there's so, you know, we're bombarded with images, Instagram, you know, everything. It's photos, photos, photos. There's something appealing about opening a page and seeing, I mean, what have we got on this page? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. There's like 10 stories on one page there, which I, you know, you don't see in magazines these days. The, you know, after the rise of the internet, you know, people got rid of all their front sections, which was the quote-unquote news pages where you had lots of little bits and pieces. So, you know, most uh, publications, you know, vi- you know, there's lots of space and big images and, you know, tasteful, tasteful layouts. And this is kind of the opposite of that. I don't think there's anything out there that looks quite like good trouble. Well, and also, I mean, looking at the economics of it, if, if you're a, a magazine maker, it, it's it's relatively difficult and expensive to produce text. You can get a, a, you know, a, your friend with a good camera mm. to take some nice pictures and you can run that really big and that's two pages taken care of. Yeah. Whereas the way you're doing it, actually you need people who know how to write, will go and do interviews, will type stuff up. They're, you're doing it the more difficult way. I'm glad you noticed that. <laughs> um, it's absolutely true, and you know, and I'm not saying that people publishing things with beautiful DPS images taken by their mates are lazy at all. Um, but you know, it it is perhaps easier to fill pages that way. And like you say, we're just looking at this spread here, and I think we have like 12 or 13 stories on it. Um, it is hard, but you know, Richard and I have made magazines before we've been involved in lots of different projects and lots of different publications i think we both are of the frame of mind that you know we like to do we don't like to do things the easy way and you know uh, if something's worth doing it's worth you know making it as hard on yourself as possible uh to do and there has been you know it's slightly masochistic it's like um this like i mentioned this one is three times as big I think in terms of pages and content as the last one and I found myself at one point looking at a spreadsheet of like you know hundreds of lines on it with different writers and different dates and different I was like god I'm I'm running a magazine again this is terrible this is not what I wanted to do Um, I did just want to get some stuff in from friends and kind of you know throw them on the page and 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 this it's sort of it didn't spiral out of control but it became uh, a lot more logically um demanding um, and you know that's good and like I said I mean I've edited magazines for years and years so it's quite uh, fun to kind of get your teeth into that again and just be like oh, okay shit there's 50 stories coming from different people all over the world and you know hopefully we did a good job on it um, yeah. and, and so and so because so far we've just spoken about the main magazine itself mm-hmm. but this one also comes with the unmanifesto supplements yeah. So, so, so where we've got text and text and text in the magazine, tell us about the Unmanifesto. Tell us what that is. 
So the On Manifesto, um, yeah, so this issue is divided into two 16-page sections. Um, this was slightly a gift of Providence uh, when we were talking to the printer who we settled on uh, here in the north of England. I went back to them when we were halfway through making this, and originally the On Manifesto was meant to be an art section in the middle of the newspaper, like the central four pages or six pages or whatever it was going to be. Um, I'll describe what it is in a sec, but I was like, can we do a 32-page publication? They were like, yeah, well, you can do that, but it has to be two 16-page sections or whatever it was. So the, the need to do multiple sections was kind of thrust upon us, and it was a problem to solve. And it ended up, you know, after some thinking and figuring it out, this uh, two 16-page section uh, idea was the neatest fit. So we have, like, essentially one magazine, which is incredibly dense textually, and another 16-page magazine, which is a huge uh, Russell Russell, Sound of Papers Turning, um, poster size uh, artworks by uh, a number of artists uh, curated uh, by uh, Francesca Gavin, our art editor, who is an art world fixture and knows absolutely everyone, hmm. and was able to reach out to people like Wolfgang Tillmans and uh, Scott King and uh, Sarah Rabar and uh, Scott Trelieven and say, hey, we're doing this slightly bonkers project about art and protest. Um, can you get involved? And, you know, she put together this incredible roster of artists, um, like the names I just mentioned, and we gave them the brief uh, of a collective manifesto, a visual manifesto. The idea was that each artist would choose a cause or, or an issue that they were passionate about, um, and give us a piece of work, an image, uh, either making it or finding something from their archive that they felt was relevant, uh, along with a quote about what it was about. Some didn't give us quotes, which is fine. They let their work entirely speak for themselves. Some gave us longer quotes. They wanted to explain a little bit more behind it. Um, they're all great. I love the Wolfgang Tillmans image, which is, where is that? This huge close-up of a hand at a Black Lives Matter protest in New York in 2014. Um, and... Obviously, you can't see this on the radio, but Scott King's huge <laughs> uh, picture of a car tire here, which uh, with some labeling that tells a story about how he could leave his life behind and become a Viking in the north of England. Uh, I'm very fond of that as well. Uh, but it's all, it's, all, it's all great work, and uh, to be able to print these works, literally poster size, yeah. Well, I, th I think also that gives them this real agency, because mm -hmm. when, you, when you're holding it in your hand as a magazine, none of the images make sense because you can only see half of the image yep. at a time. So you actually have to put it up on the wall and walk across the other side of the room and then you can look at it and then you get what this image is. Yeah, yeah. so you, you literally have to deconstruct the magazine before you can even experience <laughs> it, um, which is great, you know, like we were saying, you know, it's, it's, it's half collectible, it's half whatever you want it to be. It's disposable if you know it's disposable at the same time and you know it, these can be posters or you know you can take them apart and look at them and put them back and keep it um you know it's really, really up to you so uh, you, if you've got a damp patch on your wall they might come in useful <laughs> you know? yeah exactly yeah when the parents are coming around yeah uh you've kind of touched on this already but but i want to know yeah where does this thing go next so you, if it feels like you know that this has been a response from you this is this is yeah. you responding to circumstances and, and kind of adapting as it goes. Do you have any thoughts for like, you know, another one next year or? Yeah, maybe. I mean, I guess that kind of 
you know, the question is like, what is the point of this a little bit? And I mean, obviously I talked about where it came from and it was like the election and wanting to do something political in nature. And, and you know, obviously I don't want to make any claims that like a small self-published magazine is going to change the world because it's not. It's a small self-published magazine. But it felt, you know, it feels to me anyway important to try and put things down on paper, you know, a, a sense of... Uh, you know what is right and what is wrong and um, and to do that in a way that is divorced from the profit motive um, I think is important and I think that's you know partly perhaps that's why independent publishing in a, in a, in a, in a wider issue even of a non-political nature I think is important and why I've always been uh, interested and attracted in it because it's people publishing things they care about and when you're on the receiving end of that and you pick up uh, a zine or a self-published magazine or an independent magazine um, that comes through in a way that mass media obviously there are some great things created in mass media but uh, I don't think you get that direct connection like in the way I was talking about of like there is someone here who really is passionate about this enough so that they've been crazy enough to commit to producing a magazine, marketing it, selling it, and probably making their life and their loved ones hell for the last 18 months <laughs> just to do this. Um, you know, and when I was young, I used to go to the uh, Rough Trade in Covent Garden and, you know, where they used to sell the, the zines. This is like when I was 11 or 12 and pick up weird self-published like punk rock and indie magazines. Uh, there was one magazine that had an amazing name called, uh, was it? When I Grow Up, I Want to Be Bobby Gillespie, which, uh, which I've still got somewhere in a box. Um, and I just loved all that, just kind of, you know, it's probably kind of, these things are produced by teenagers in their bedrooms and like, you know, I don't have a huge collection by any means, but I've got a few of the ones I picked up. But anyway, I think, I think in this time and age where, again, not to make any grand claims for good trouble, but I think it's important that people putting their views uh, and telling stories about people and the world around them and putting that on paper because, you know, we're increasingly uh, told how truth doesn't matter or how, you know, facts don't matter. And I think there is something powerful about people putting down their truth on paper, uh, whether, it's, whether it's stories about the world around them uh, or, you know, artists who have created work about the world around them or simply doing, you know, Q&As or telling the stories of people who are doing things and saying, look, this happened this is important, I think it's important, we think it's important, and you know, hopefully you do too. Uh, and you can create that connection, you know, and, uh, and hopefully those connections, sometimes those connections can go on to create other things, and we've made a lot of friends just through doing this, which, again, is another aspect of doing, you know, we've met artists, uh, musicians, uh, who we've found that, you know, our worldviews align, and they have other projects coming up, um, you know, for, uh, for an example, one of the artworks we featured in the issue one, uh, Jimmy Corti's uh, riot in a shipping container. I don't know if you remember reading about it. It's a 40 foot shipping container that contains a scale model of a civil disturbance. And it toured the UK to sites of former riots uh, with the idea of social engagement. Um, and we did a story on that. And now they want to, they've been wanting to bring this to the US for a while. So we've been talking to. Um, uh, the gallerist about you know how we can help with that and making connections so I think beyond good trouble sometimes just the fact that you're telling stories and getting involved and you know going to events and meeting people who are doing things other things can come out of that which are beyond 
you know the scope of the magazine and nothing even to do with the magazine and 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 that's interesting itself so i'm interested just to see where it goes um yeah to get back to your question like is there issue three i don't know i think there will be something uh whether it's another broadsheet newspaper or not depends to be seen you know it could be a film or it could be an event or it could i, I don't i don't know i, I I have a feeling it will evolve into something else. I mean, maybe it will be a, maybe it will be a newspaper and something else. But at this point, let's see how issue two does. <laughs> well, in that case, I am really, really pleased that we managed to get this out on stack to people. I th it's exactly the sort of thing that I want to send out. So um, thanks for that and good work. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. Thanks for, thanks for sending it out. And uh, yeah, thanks, for, for, thanks for letting me waffle on about it. <laughs> <laughs>